This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Anyway, we were just discussing cruelty to animals and uh, and uh, whether God, whether that's really what's going on. We happen to know today in, with modern technology because now we can like put electrodes on animals' brains and see how much pain they receive when when they're in pain. And we now know that ritual slaughter for the last three thousand three hundred twenty nine years, soon to be, we're about to hit three three three. Zero, zero now from Sinai. Sinai was 3,329 years ago. And in a matter of weeks, we're going to be at uh, 3,330. I'm excited for three years from now when it's 3333. That's going to be a special. Now, the, but for the last three millennia, we've been doing kosher slaughter. And when you put the electrodes on the animal's brain to sense its pain, uh, there's no pain. No pain. The, the, when you cut the oxygen, the windpipe, it has an immediate, immediate loss of uh, loss of awareness. Immediate loss of awareness. So it may, there may be pain there, but the animal's not aware. So, so it's uh, so you see, there's sensitivity. But that's not necessarily why God did it. Why we have that commandment? It might be. It, I would guess it probably is that God didn't want that animal to have pain. But uh, but not necessarily. It could be just that's what God wants us to do with the animals. It's important that we understand in general with commandments that uh, stop getting so involved in reasons why, meaning trying to figure out what God had in mind. It, some commandments are, just do it. You know, um, one of the things is uh, is mixing wool and linen. I'm wearing a wool sweater, and it's real important that the threads here. Are not made of linen, you know that because otherwise it's wool and linen mixture on the buttons, and so we generally check our garments to make sure that there's no wool linen mixtures. But it's one of the Torah commandments. Why? We don't know. I mean, we do know, but it has to do with witchcraft and stuff. Witchcraft is very involved in mixing things. Uh, the physical world, like um, everything in the physical world, has a spiritual counterpart in a parallel realm, parallel realm that's vivifying this physical thing. So your table, for example, is being vivified in a, in a realm, it's called, in a world that's called Yitzira. In the world of Yitzira, your table's coming into, is being given life. And um, now we can't mix this table with something else to do witchcraft. But what we can't, but a, what, what a person who understands witchcraft can do is go up to that parallel realm and mix it up there to affect matter down here. Understand? They can go to where where matter comes from. They can go mix things up. For us, that's forbidden. And one of those mixtures is wool and linen. That's why it's part of witchcraft, why we're not allowed to have it. And uh, But interestingly, what is forbidden is permitted at the temple. In the temple... In the Kohanic vestments, there, that mixture is permitted by the Kohanim um, in, in some of their garments, and and I think it's also permitted even for regular Jews. If someone has a talit, they're allowed to have a linen talis with woolen tzitzis, but I think they're only allowed to do that if they have tchelas. And also during the day. Right, they have to have to close? That. Yeah. it has to be during the day. Once nightfall, you have to take it out. Because it's a mixture. Because no, it's not a mitzvah during the night, so. No. So it's all day shemite. 
you're allowed to do it. If you're allowed to wear shuttles. Shuttles, but at night, then you can't wear the scissors. Right, so they said better not to try it. I have a different question that I'm interested interested in. Um, I mean, this is going to sound like totally off the wall, so I apologize in advance, but... Um, can, you, can I just get a showing of hands? Don't worry, we're not going to video this. Can I just get a showing of hands? How many people believe in extraterrestrial life? Aliens. Aliens. Uh, that there's beings, uh, other planets out in the galaxy. You mean like any kind of life? Like any... Yes. Intelligent life outside Earth. So you believe in that? You believe in that? Anyone else? Has, has anyone seen documentaries on it? Anyone know anything about it? Seen documentaries on it? You've seen documentaries on it? You don't want to discuss it. <laughs> what? A book about it. But a, 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 a non-fiction. Yeah. So my question is this. What, would, what does Torah say about this? I think, um, I think that the, well, if I can interest you in a, in a particular sentence in the Torah that might, might be of, uh, of interest, you look at the end of the chapter of Genesis, it says like this, um, It says, uh, now here it won't translate it, but it says, the Nephilim, Nephilim from this, is from the word fallen ones, mm-hmm. Nephilim. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. Nephilim are some kind of things that have fallen. Um, <laughs> the Nephilim were on the earth. Hey, what's up? Welcome to my seminary. Would you like to sit by the camera in case I need camera work, ladies? Come close. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of the rulers would concert with the daughters of man. Now, the sons of rulers, first of all, Nephilim doesn't even get translated. So, there's some kind of entity called Nephilim that are on the earth in those days. <laughs> What's that supposed to be? You know, how are you supposed to learn that sentence? They're on the earth in those days? Does that mean they're not on the earth now, or they were not on the earth in another period, and now they are on the earth, but they weren't on the earth? Or maybe they were always on the earth, but now they're not on the earth? But whatever, it says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And then the sons of rulers, which served the daughters of man. It's like, what's going on there? They're not the sons of man. It's the sons of rulers consorting with the daughters of man. Who are those? Who are the rulers? That are that's apparently. I mean, if you make a classic inference, like they're not obviously not the children of men, and who um, would bear to them? I don't know what that means. Uh, go to the Hebrew for that. It says Um That's funny. It said the sons of rulers. You know what it says here. B'nai Eloi. I mean, I'm going to say him, because it's not talking about God here. 
These are the children of Elohim. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, now it's getting really freaky. <laughs> the sons of Elohim. So, what, so then write the sons of God. And they're not the sons of God. They're the sons of something called Elohim. Um. They, 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 they wound up, the women gave birth, the daughters of man gave birth to something. To them, it says. <laughs> and they gave, they gave birth to them. Who were they consorting with? And what were they giving birth to? Hema, and then it says, Hema hagiborim ashemayolam anshe Hashem. These are the mighty ones who, says Meolam, I don't know how to translate that, forever or from old, from days of old, Anshe Hashem, men of the name, men of the name. It's the, you realize how totally cryptic this is? This is an extremely cryptic verse here. You will find that commentaries that are normal commentaries that would be show up in a book like this are not going to touch this with a ten foot pole. The, the, we, we help a family make Shabbos food. Uh, we pay for a Shabbos food in this class, the Thursday class. So the guy came to the window to let me know that he's here. So maybe uh, you guys have a cup on your table. Maybe we'll pass it around. Um, the more we put in there, the more they eat. So. And they've never overeaten. <laughs> I feel so bad for them when it's, when it's just like young students. Because once in a while, the guy shows up at the window, and this place is like, we got like a bunch of machers in here. He comes up with like 500 bucks. But, um, so we'll raise a little money from this class for him. I just can't believe it's Thursday. Does anyone feel like it's not Thursday? Yes. Oh, thank God. I've been feeling like so weird. You guys feel like it's Thursday? Can I kiss you? What? Yeah, of course, Kenny. When it comes to money, no one's mocking. I'm embarrassed to say I think I'm the only one with no money. We had a double Shabbos, so it makes me a double week. Yeah. You could that and actually think about it as. They were what? The daughters? Of the rulers, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to really see it inside. And also, you or I are not going to be the ones to figure this out. You know, we're not going to figure this out. Um, let's just see if, uh, let's see if Art School decided to play with it here. Um, it does. There's some traditions here that Art School brings. It says like this. Um, it says, um, the sons of rulers, these were the sons of the princes and judges, for Elohim also, also refers to, uh, Elohim also refers to judges. Yes. Um, Yeah, it's not handling anything. Oh, Nephilim. 
Now here it says in the feeling we're giants. But the feeling, but Biden didn't say giants. These were giants, the same race that terrified Moses' spies. They were given this title, Nafal, to fall because they fell and caused others, others to fall through their egregious, egregious sinfulness. Alternatively, they were so-called because the hearts of those who saw them fell in amazement at their size. Okay. So that's one, one commentary. Um, I've asked a great Kabbalist, who happens to be my Rebbe, to explain to me the Nephilim. I've asked him more than once. And every time he looks at me with disdain, he kind of shakes his head. And, and then continues on with the class. He refuses to discuss the Nephilim with me. And he teaches us very esoteric stuff. The whole Everything we're learning is Kabbalah. But every time I bring, I mean, I stopped doing it, but I used to bring up the Nephilim once in a while to try to get him to say a word or two about these things. He always looks at me like, we're not talking about that. So he doesn't want to discuss the Nephilim. But what I wanted to talk to you ladies about, and gentlemen, is what, what it means regarding God. What it means regarding God. To have a, a whole other scenario, a whole other story taking place in a whole other civilization that could exist in, in separate galaxies, you realize that if it's going on another galaxy, that there's no way to ever get to Earth. So if they've ever gotten to Earth, that means they are so technologically advanced that, that we, are, we are like jokers technologically to them because it had it would have to be that their that their ability to travel and propel propulse themselves to propulsion and move themselves and it would have to be able to take whatever they've got dematerialize it and then rematerialize it you get that because do you, you guys know what we're talking about as far as like speed of light distances between galaxies? Meaning it would take it would take a, like a millions of lifetimes to travel the speed of light to get to another galaxy. Millions of lifetimes at the speed of light to get to another galaxy. So we're talking about beings with extreme technology. Um, you should know, by the way, if they did ever get to our planet. And there are governments that have their craft. The ability to reverse engineer those crafts gets really, is really high. Meaning with brilliant people who have in their hands the, whatever you, they're using as vehicles, if they exist. But if a government can, cord, can somehow cordon off an area where a spaceship's found, they don't want anyone to know because of the, the finances involved. Yeah. Yeah. Then there's questions about about the, what they know medically, because <laughs> yeah. that's also it's a huge industry. Medicine's a huge industry. So, and the the alternative healing is is sometimes under fire from the, like for example they found a cure for addiction. Do you know they found a cure for addiction? Uh, a bark, a bark from Africa. Yeah, there's a bark in Africa that if you, if you, I don't know what you have to do. I guess you turn it into, uh, I don't know, you eat it, you drink it. I don't know what you do with it, but you you do something with it. 
And someone who ingests this bark from Africa comes out. I mean, I think they go through like hell for three days, but they're no longer addicted to whatever they're addicted to. Meaning they still get to be the father of the family and like, they don't have to go to rehab and they don't die and they don't, you understand? But rehabs are like billion dollar businesses. And so they made this bark and can imagine making a bark illegal. They made the bark illegal. Like in America, the bark's illegal. Like, that's not normal. How could that bark possibly be illegal? I, last night, I was on the phone with someone who administers the bark in Mexico. It cost $25,000, thanks to America, probably. It cost $25,000 to go to his clinic in Mexico. He has 14 MDs working in his clinic in the jungle of the Yucatan. He has some, like, five-star clinic there where you get the bark and all these doctors tending you, and he's curing Alzheimer's and all these things. I mean, there's all these curable things that are, that are, you know, you're not allowed to cure them in Western. Yes. Yeah, so they're pretty lenient. Not with the park, but they have other stuff that's like illegal in certain countries. But in Israel, they didn't really catch up. Yeah, them. they're a little better than that. And I know there's a, there's a, there's a bark clinic in Israel, but it's also like 10,000. Here's the Africans found out that people are selling their bark for 10,000 times. The, the Africans would just be like, Bark. That there was a, a uh, that the exact patterns that the U.S. sent out, or I think it was the U.S. whatever that the Western world sent out to outer space, got returned in a giant crops in a perfect pattern with the exact phrasing of the messages because they sent out like four categories of messages, all four categories in it, like a couple hundred yards of crop just like burned. Into or I don't know what they did, but they somehow are perfectly designed into a crop in this exact form of the message, which is like I don't know what that's all about. But let's say they sent a delegation to this planet. Now they get to the planet, and the last minute Israel lobbied the scientists' crew to include a Kabbalist, that a Kabbalist gets to go on the spaceship. So they go off to this planet in the middle of nowhere, and they, uh, you know, in some other galaxy. And they're meeting, they're talking to the Martians, everyone's having, you know, espressos and chilling out with the Martians. And, but the Kabbalist is waiting to ask questions. So he says, is, do you have such a thing as, um, as a visitation from God? I mean, he doesn't want to know about religion. Religion for sure they have. He wants to know if there was ever a visitation. And it turns out that the Martians say there was a visitation. They had a visitation from, from God. And they actually believe in God, have a visitation. And so the Kabbalist says, Can I, did you get anything from it? And they said, well, yeah, we have this whole document that was given prophetically to us. Now, when the Kabbalist looks at that document, do you think he's going to see the Torah? You think there's going to be the Torah there? No. No. It's not going to be the Torah. Why? Because that planet had their story. So whatever story they're going to write is going to be recorded you know, accordingly. They're, they're, if they have a book from this creator, it's going to be probably enclosed in, in whatever their document is enclosed in. But then the Kabbalist says, do you have mystics on your planet? Do you have Kabbalists? on your planet who know the secrets behind the book. And he says, yes, come with me. And so he follows him to the mystical city of 
whatever, and they get to the mystical city, and there are the Kabbalists, and now our Kabbalist from Earth is meeting with their Kabbalist, and they start, he starts, they start, the, their Kabbalist starts to explain the book, Alpi Kabbalah, according to Kabbalah. And now our Kabbalist, his eyes light up. Why? Because they're actually, their Torah is identical to ours. It's the same exact Torah. The words are totally different. The phrasing is totally different. Could be even the letters. I don't know. The letters are different. But the, but it's the same story, just in the according to the Kabbalah. It's the same exact thing. Just a different story. So then, it asks. Then we have to ask the question: well, What is this story? What is this? Now, it's clearly, you know, if you open a random page. Hashem said to Moses, carve out two stone tablets, like the first ones. It's stuff that happened during the times of the Jews traveling in the desert, of uh, you know, the Sinai Desert, and on their way to, to Israel. That's what's written in our book. Now, this Torah here, when you read these words, is called the Torah HaTachton, the lower Torah. This is called the lower Torah. When you read these words, that's our lower Torah. Now, there's something called a Torah El Yoyna, which is the upper Torah. This is the Torah Tachtoyna, and then there's the Torah El Yoyna. The Torah El Yoyna is where it's where the actual creation is is being projected from. Let me explain it like this: God creates the world via several steps. Step number one is desire, meaning uh, the reason I'm pointing here is because lungs represent desire, so I couldn't help do this. Step number one is desire. You'll notice if you really want something, you're like, yeah, I really want that thing. Or if you need to scream to someone like a child that a car is coming, you know, you're going to be like, because oh, you're like, it's really important. You know, and also your volume is going to be loud because you're going to push a lot of air through the vocal cords to make sure the kid hears you. You're going to go ten times the volume of that you would have used to tell the kid to remember to bring you milk when he, because you forgot to tell her to bring you milk. You're going to be ten times that volume because of the desire that they should hear you before they, before they cross the driveway that you saw a car coming. And so the lungs are desire. And so too, creation begins with God's desire to create a world. Think about it. The first attribute of everything God creates is desire to create it. Nothing happens without desire. Everything, you're, you're, you're wearing clothing that's all made of desire. Your desire to own it. Uh, clothing designers to design it, uh, manufacturers desire to, to make a living through manufacturing. Everything, this building is sub- only because of someone desired to build it. And you're in this room only because you desired to be in here. And, and literally everything's made of desire. There's nothing that's not made of desire. The Brooklyn Bridge is made of desire of people in Brooklyn to get to Manhattan quicker. Airplanes are built out of desire of people to cross Earth faster. Your own skin is to create it out of the desire of your parents for one another. Every single thing is made of desire. There's nothing but desire in creation. So that in Hebrew is called Ratzon. It's the key to all of reality. If you want to be a highly successful person, spend the majority of your time on Ratzon. Once you got Ratzon clear, once you got a laser beam of Ratzon, so then the, the rest is going to fall into place. The only reason your lives haven't perfectly fallen into place yet is because you... You do not yet know what you what you want. Have you ever noticed things are dragging a little bit? So it's because you have not yet clarified what you want. 
once you clarify what you want, everything just seems to fall into place. And so that's why they, unfortunately, a large amount of people in society try to do things before they figured out what they want. And so, and also I feel so bad about university that the kids go from high school to university because how many high school kids, especially in America, you know, or the USA, how many high school kids know what they want when they're 18? I'm talking about secular, Gentile. High school. Like, how's, how's the number none? Like, none of them. Once in a while you get this anomaly kid who like, knows exactly what he wants, but no one knows what they want. And what do we do? We send them to four years and give them a very general education. And by their junior year, we'll make them choose. But how many people choose in their junior year and still have no idea what they want? And then other people, when they'll be in their senior year, realize what they want, and it's not what they chose. Now, do you think they go back or they stay with their original major? What do you think? The majority of them. They stay, they're like, I'm graduating in two semesters. You have in mind somebody, real hands, not this, like, like that, yeah. And now, keep your hands up if they were happy they did it. It's always 100%. It's always 100%. It doesn't matter how old you are. You can be in your 60s, 70s, and realize what you really want is this, and it's totally different than what you've been doing. You actually can go back and go, go do a totally new career with zero regrets. And how about the people who say, ah, you know, at this point, forget about it. And they don't go back. Are they going to be very happy? No. They're just... They're not doing what they want. So cut your losses. If you ever discover what you really want, even if it means an extra year in university, meaning you were supposed to be there four years, you're going to have to be there five, because now you know what you want. Stay, do the five-year thing, or whatever it is. Um, the exception on this is marriage. If you're married for many years, and then you discover <laughs> what you really want, and it's not who you're married to, the marriage is a spiritual reality. Marriage is a spiritual thing. That's totally different. So, I mean, almost seriously, almost everyone you'll ever meet who got married wakes up like a year or two later discovering who they actually married. <laughs> like, what? Like, how, how did that happen? Almost everyone. Almost literally everyone. They, they, God has a crazy sense when it comes to marriage and sets us up with the funniest scenarios. The funniest scenarios ever. Like, uh, my own marriage is kind of silly in this way in that um, my... My wife comes from a sit-down, eat-at-home family, you know, dad, mom, son, daughter, staring at each other every single night, 365 nights a year. And, like, he, he retired at 40. My father-in-law retired at 40 and has been home for every dinner, not only after 40, before 40. He was home at every dinner. And, and who does she marry? She marries, like, Rocket Man. Rocket Man. I don't remember the rest of uh, Elton John's song, but she marries Rocket Man. So, like, you can imagine after a couple months of being married to me, she was like, I married Rocket Man? You know? And, and of course, I'm like, I'm married to, like, like uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Velcro? <laughs> Velcro and Rocket Man, Mazel Tov. You know? And uh, but over the years, it took me a while to realize, and it took her a while to realize. But over the years, it developed into because I know a lot of Rocket Men who are like such crash and burn people. 
that I owe the longevity of my career. I'm now 27 years teaching extremely expansively internationally and, and I'm a musician and charismatic and like this like totally expansive guy. So that my career lasts as long as it lasts only because of a Velcro woman. Velcro woman's the one who's like kept me totally focused all these years. So like, but I had no idea. I thought she was rocket woman and she thought I was Velcro man. After a few months, I realized I'm married to Velcro woman. She's married to rocket man. <laughs> and so, but it, it's been amazing. You know, and, it, and it, is, it is solely responsible for the longevity of how long I've helped people over the last 27 years. It's amazing. Thank God. So when it comes to marriage, there we don't cut our losses. If you find, if you look in the mirror one day and say like, who the hell did I marry? That's not when you say, forget about it. Everything else you say, forget about it. Everything else you cut your losses, you go, go for the new thing. Marriage, you're messing with stuff. Marriage is God's little, his little genetic game he's playing with the next generations and stuff. And, and he's got all these tikkuning we got to go through. And if you, and all you'd have to do is see your previous incarnation, and your marriage would make total sense. If you knew who you were in your previous Gilgul, the Gilgul Makodim, the uh, you would, you'd be like, oh, okay, this now I get it. You know, and you'd completely accept your fate with who you married. Um, now, God created the world with Ratzon, and then um, that's that's the, the lungs, and then with with uh, um, and then with uh, the you know Chokhmah and Das, all the Midas, and then but ultimately shot it out with vocalizations. The whole creation is created out of the vocalizations of the twenty-two holy letters of the alphabet of the alphabet, and those twenty-two letters are called the Rala. Rala means Resh Lamed Aleph, which is 231. Resh Lamed Aleph, Rala, 231. And th- what happens is those, 200, those 22 letters is an algorithm of Aleph, Bet, Aleph, Gimel, Aleph, Dal, Bet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Bet, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Bet, Dal, Gimel, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Bet, Gimel, Dal, Gimel, Hey, all the way, comes to 20, 231. The Rala is 231 interpositioning, intercalculations of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which becomes, which starts to weave and weave and weave its way all the way down to creation until it weaves wood, metal, wool, animal. The whole creation is woven with these 22 holy letters. Now, those 22 letters that are moving down the system until they weave their way into our world are, are, I'm looking at you guys like you're supposed to feed me my word. But none of you are going to feed this word. Um, those 22, I just kind of lost the word I was going to say. Those 22 letters which are weaving our world are called the upper Torah. You get that? That's the upper Torah. It's made of letters, just like our Torah down here is made of letters. That's the upper Torah. The upper Torah is the weaving of those letters. Those are creation. That, that is the creation in the making. Very tentative on the higher levels. Slowly starts to coagulate until it starts to weave into physicality. But it's the Torah. 
When Kabbalists learn Torah, that's what they're studying. When Kabbalists learn a story about Abraham, they're studying the upper Torah. The Kabbalists are studying. So often I've been learning with my Rebbe, and, and we're in like seriously deep Kabbalah stuff on, you know, whatever Parsha of the week it is. And let's say, like, for now, we're in Parsha's Tazria. We're in Tazria Mitzvah right now. And, and what will happen is we're so deep into something that I'm like, what in the world does this have to do with this week's Parsha? And I have to keep looking at the top of the page to see what Parsha we're because it doesn't seem to have anything to do with it, because the upper Torah is not exactly understood from the lower Torah. It's hard to understand the upper Torah from the lower Torah. But watch this. Everyone, please say the word Torah. Torah. Together one more time, Torah. Torah. Third time, Torah. Torah. Okay, good. Now, that's called the upper Torah. So everyone say the word Torah. Torah. Now, imagine you took your smartphone and uh, cover your smartphone. Now, imagine you took your smartphone and you took a picture of it up there. What would it be a picture of? I'll do it. Click. What's it a picture of? See, Torah. Torah. Okay? And now it's weaving and weaving. It's coming down, coming down through the Rala, the 231 gates. Yeah, and I take another click. What do we got? Everybody say it. And then another click. It's coming down. Another click. 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 Ready? Because now it's really woven into minerals, plants, vegetables, animal, animal. Okay, everyone smile. Click. What is this? What you realize, and now I'm going to teach you a deep Kabbalistic thing that you probably never thought of before. What you realize is this, this is the lower Torah. This is the lower Torah. This is the Torah. This is just the woven 22 letters that have been coming down the system. Of Torah. This is the Torah. So for those of you who have been like thinking, I don't know if you're thinking this sometimes, Jordan, like, do I want to be like part of the Torah community or do I want to be like not in the Torah community or like how much do I want to have to do with the Torah community? Like, do I want to be in Torah or do I want to be out of Torah? And I'm sure everyone's had their Yitzhahara moments where, like, do I really want to be in Torah? Do I want to be out of Torah? Well, according to what we just shared Kabbalistically, <laughs> is there such things being out of Torah? Are two little kids right now running down the street with a ball in the old city in Torah or out of Torah? In Torah. Do they have any cognition of that? Zero. An ant climbing a tree right now in Africa, in Torah or out of Torah? And our inner city boys playing basketball right now. In Torah, out of Torah. They're, they're completely in Torah. There's no question of, do I want to be in Torah, out of Torah? You've never been out of Torah. One split second of your life. So then what's the question that you're really asking? The question you're asking is, do I want to be aligned with being in Torah? Or do I want to be out of, like, do I want to be connected and aligning myself cognitively with it? Emotionally with it? Or do I want to be spaced out to it? Do I want to be like out of it? Even though I'm always in it. That's the question. Do I want to be aligned with it? Or do I want to be unaligned with it? We're always in it. We're always in it. You're, 
You're not, just because you may know some stuff about God and Torah doesn't make you more connected than those two little kids playing with the ball. In fact, you could even say the two little kids playing with the ball are more connected because they don't have all the mental, you know, distortion, all the mental uh, uh, litter. I don't know what you call our constant barrage of thoughts, but it's static. static that's in the way of the connection. It also can be used for the good of the connection, but it can also get in the way. We've always been in Taurus, so then what's this? Now we gotta get now we gotta get back to this. The camera. <laughs> what is this thing? So you wanna know what this is? This is for our planet. I'm not saying there's life on another planet. I don't know if there's life on another planet. But I can tell you for sure on our planet that the people kept losing their way. Meaning the whole world's made of Torah, but humanity kept winding up like spaced out to Torah. Meaning spaced out to the point. So God said, hmm, what do we do? Like, I've tried generation after generation after generation. Meaning we got Adam all the way to Abraham as 20 generations. And a lot happened in those generations. And every single time, it always boiled down to them, meaning humanity, not being into the fact that this is all Torah. That we're just a creation. We are a holographic projection from the mind of God. And our bodies are just avatars. Desert. If you want to tell a secret to three million people, I don't know, any of you guys ever been to the Sinai? Anyone here been to the Sinai? Oh, cool. Me too. Yeah, so you saw the Sinai, right? You could tell a secret to three million people down there? And only they're going to hear? Yes. <laughs> I saw areas of the Sinai. You could put 50 million people there. And no one's going to hear. It is... The most incredible desolation of landscape I've ever seen. It's amazing. I mean, you've got to see it. Some copy of the upper tour to give us instructions how to get around this place. Gentiles can ignore it. They don't need I mean, Gentiles have seven basic laws. Keep the seven, go to heaven. In other words, just stay out of harm's way. But the people got blasted? Well, now, once you've been blasted, you're going to be in a totally different place when it comes to alignment and that requires 613 alignments there's 613 alignments stuff to avoid stuff to do they're all part of the alignments with having been from the people who got blasted at Sinai. you've just experienced another torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com